podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Talking Point. After the Australian Grand Prix that produced another win for Charles Leclerc and another retirement for Max Verstappen, and we'll be going through everything that happened on today's show, but here's what's coming up. We'll be taking a look back at the Australian Grand Prix as Charles Leclerc took another victory and extended his lead in the Drivers' Championship. John Wilde joins us to bring us through his driver ratings for the weekend. There are several points to go through and Oliver Harden gives us his conclusions from the weekend. And our special guest goes through his Formula One firsts. So it was another important weekend as the third race of the season took place at Albert Park, a heavily revised Albert Park as well. Uh, Charles Leclerc taking his second victory of the season and Max Verstappen his second retirement, which puts Leclerc a massive 34 points ahead in the Drivers' Championship, with Verstappen almost having two race victories worth of points to catch up at this early point in the season. George Russell got his first podium for Mercedes within that as well. And it's a case of what might have been for Fernando Alonso after looking so quick in qualifying. And then he got finishing last on the road in the race. Uh, he'll no doubt be gutted. But to uh, join me for, for today's episode, we're very pleased to welcome back to Talking Point, Finley Crabolder. Finn, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, happy to be back. It's been been a fair while. Yeah, so Talking Point was was your sort of brainchild, really. You were the sort of creator of it all. So it must feel a little bit like being back to school in a way, I guess. Yeah, 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 it does. It's, uh, yeah, back when I started it, Formula One was, well, Formula One's always interesting, but it was the 2020 season, which was slightly less interesting, I'd say. So, uh, yeah, nice to be back when we've got, yeah, something other than Mercedes dominance. Yeah, exactly. So let's go straight into that then. So Charles Leclerc taking another victory, a massive advantage at the uh, the top of the championship already. You know, it's it's looking pretty ominous at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I say uh, I'm happy there's not Mercedes dominance, but there could well be Ferrari dominance. I mean, didn't look like that in the first two races, obviously. That was pretty even between Red Bull and Ferrari. But yeah, I mean, um, Leclerc was just on another level here. Obviously, I think he definitely had the best car uh, the weekend, but also he just drove so well, you know, he no mistakes, no errors. There was never really a second of doubt where you thought maybe Verstappen and Perez can challenge him. I mean, yeah, just a league of his own all weekend, really. Yeah, let's touch on Verstappen as well then. Frustrating and unacceptable were his words after uh, after another retirement. And uh, he's got a lot of ground to make up already. That could uh, prove to be pretty crucial, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. It's um, it's kind of weird. He's very much on the back foot now. I mean, behind his teammate in the standings, which is a rare sight. I can't remember the last time I saw that. It must have been the days of Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously that is bad luck. You know, he just lost what thirty six points, maybe a bit more if he would have got fastest laps from those two second positions in the first and third races. So. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It feels a bit like the Renault days again, where they just had an engine giving up on them every other race. Um, yeah, so it must be really frustrating for him, but he can at least take some comfort in terms of his driving. It's, it's you know, not been too many issues at least. And at least they don't have uh, a scapegoat this time because they're designing their own engines. So there's, uh, there's yeah. no argument coming. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No one else to blame, just themselves. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty concerning. I think on the engine part. I mean, you, I can't imagine that's something that they'll be able to fix, like the click of a fingers. You know, when you've got four cars and one or two of them every weekend are having problems. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that. I mean, if they don't fix it, then they're going to be dragged down into the fight for P two rather than P one of the constructors because you've got. 
you know, you've got Mercedes, McLaren and Alpine all, all looking pretty good, really. Yeah, let's touch on Mercedes as well then. So George Russell's first podium as Mercedes driver, obviously he seemed he, he sort of admitted he got lucky twice with the uh with the safety car periods, but he he did well to hang on to it, didn't he? He did, yeah. He definitely got a lot of luck. Um I mean he was behind Hamilton and Perez before that safety car. Um but to be fair to him, I mean the whole weekend he was right on Hamilton's pace, really. Um, you know, not not much between them in quality or in the race even before that safety car to be honest so yeah i think he had a really good weekend um first proper podium i don't think anyone i mean i'm not counting that spa last year he very much is i don't think he very much is yeah but i mean i can't call that a race um but yeah and he was it's been a really solid start to his time mercedes actually you know it's um people might think you know he's slightly on the back foot to Hamilton but the fact that he's even close to Hamilton already says it all I think yeah and we will be touching that a little bit later on but first of all we want to bring in John Wilde who has uh, done his driver ratings for the race and John welcome to today's show how are you Thank you, Henry. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, uh, a lot fresher than I was this time yesterday, put it that way. Yeah, I bet. I absolutely bet that. But there's only one place to start, isn't there? We uh, we only gave uh, one 10 out of 10 and uh, we sort of so, uh, put it on social media and a couple of people were uh, basically saying, oh, Dwayne on Facebook said, was it Latifi for finishing a race? Uh, <laughs> another person on Twitter said, Stroll, Latifi, no. Uh, but there's only one person who was worthy of a 10, wasn't there? Yeah, absolute no-brainer. Charles Leclerc, as Finley said, it was the perfect weekend for him, wasn't it? Uh, Pole position, led every lap, uh, fastest lap and won the race for the Grand Slam. First time that's happened for a Ferrari driver for 12 years, I believe. I think Fernando Alonso was the last one to do that. So yeah, I mean, it was a weekend when when everything went uh, Leclerc's way. And again, I think Finley made a good point there about, um, about Max actually being behind Perez in the championship now. That's that's the Brucey bonus for me for uh, for Leclerc. <laughs> Absolutely, because uh, he had Perez and Russell alongside him on the podium. That's as good as it gets, isn't it? Not, neither Hamilton nor Verstappen were there with him, so uh, it just uh, boosts up his lead even more in the championship and puts him in a, a really strong position. Well, he really did, did look untouchable, didn't he? Finn? Like for I think he finished end up, end up finishing twenty seconds ahead of Perez in the end. Like he he just wasn't you know he just wasn't even bothered for for most of the race, other than that safety car restart where he kind of messed up his uh, his exit. He just he just went off into the distance. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, it's um, yeah, he'd led every single lap, fastest lap pole win. I mean, yeah, another level. I think yeah, it's so true what John says. I mean, last year Leclerc would have been watching Hamilton and Verstappen thinking. God, even if I have a top car next year, it's going to be seriously tough going up against these guys. But I mean, both of them are trailing their teammates in the standings. Um, it's pretty ideal, and it, it you know it gives Mercedes and Red Bull maybe harder harder decisions to make in terms of team orders and things. So yeah, it's it's worked out perfectly. He just needs, I think, all he needs is a teammate up there helping out, um, uh, and he's yeah. got his happy days for him, isn't it? <laughs> Well, let's move on to to Leclerc's teammate Ben John Carlos Sainz. Three out of ten, and it's um, it feels slightly difficult to argue with that. Really, he did look on uh, on Leclerc's pace in qualifying, but just nothing seemed to go right for him, did it? No, it just all went wrong from the moment um, Fernando Alonso crashed. Basically, that uh, that ruined Sainz's qualifying session because he was on a hot lap at the time. It was looking like it was going to be be a really good one as well, and then suddenly the red flags came out and absolutely ruined it for him. And then there was a problem back in the garage. They, they were struggling to to start the car up. I think um, when when the lights turned green again, he made a mistake on his final hot lap, and it left him down in ninth on the grid. 
started on the hard tyres, um, struggled to get them up to temperature in the early stages. He dropped right down the order to 14th um, and, and then obviously made that big mistake where, where he spun off and uh, beached the car in the gravel. And that was his race done. So just from the moment Alonso crashed, it just turned into a disastrous weekend for science. And when he's, he's teammate is putting in a perfect performance like he did um it just does give rise to suggestions that there might be some sort of team orders coming into ferrari before too long where they, they put all their eggs in the leclerc basket and uh science has to play second fiddle yeah sticking on that point john do you reckon it was a case of the the sort of age-old thing of a driver sort of becoming on the back foot at the start of the season and maybe even overdriving do you reckon that move was a little bit optimistic and just you know they just tried a little bit too hard it may well have been i mean i think what we've got to remember is that science has been on the podium in the first two races as well he didn't do a lot wrong uh it was just one of those weekends when it, it just all you know all went downhill for him very rapidly from from qualifying onwards and, and it's something that he'll have to address um for the next race and onwards and uh i mean uh, you know he's he's normally a rock solid driver who finishes in the points very very consistently and, and high in the points at, at that and uh I think he's got the mentality to overcome it, um, and uh, we we expect to see a lot more from him uh, in Imola and, uh, and and Miami and beyond. I would say. Yeah, the consistency point is a really interesting one, Finn, isn't it? Because he has finished in the points for th- something like thirty plus races before that, and he, you know, he just didn't really look himself all weekend, did he? No, I mean that's always the thing. He's kind of had going for him. I, I don't think on one lap pace he's ever been up there with Leclerc, Verstappen, Hamilton. Um, but it's always that consistency, especially on race days. He's always, you know, may, not one of the best on Saturdays, but he always delivers on race days, um, rarely makes mistakes. But yeah, that obviously wasn't the case this time around. Um, I don't think, you know, you can draw any conclusions too quickly. I think last year as well, he had a pretty unspectacular start to the season i think he has for the last few seasons um in fact he's generally been a bit of a slow starter um i do think obviously ferrari aren't going to be happy about the weekend he had but in a way it's it's starting to make their lives a bit easier we we were ferrari love to have a number one and a number two especially in title fights and i mean the decisions kind of being made for them at the moment you know they're not having to issue team orders or make any awkward calls um I mean, Leclerc's already got such a big lead. You could argue they're already justified in putting all their eggs in his basket, you know? And John, just building on that as well, Leclerc is, has done so well and science has obviously spoken before about the theories and you know experiments he's going to have to try to to get on his pace. But do you reckon that could ultimately be his downfall in the end if he if he tries to sort of overthink it from his own side of the garage? Well, that is the thing, isn't it? That he um, he has been saying for the first couple of races that he's been finding it harder to uh, to adjust to the F one seventy five than than Leclerc has. But I agree with Finn that he um, you know he, he is the sort of driver who tends to to build throughout a season. I mean, last season, for example, it you know in the early stages it, it didn't look as though he would be um, beating Leclerc in the championship as he ultimately did. So. Again, I certainly don't think it's um, it's time for anyone to give up on Carlos Sainz. I, I, the one thing I'd like to see him do more than anything is actually win a race because I think he's well overdue winning a race. There's a couple of drivers on the grid that applies to his, uh, his old mate Lando as well. You know, they're, they're surely the next two taxis off the rank in terms of winning a race, you'd, you'd like 
like to think. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's a hurdle you need to to overcome. Uh, get on that top step of the podium, and uh, I, I think he's capable of it. There's plenty of opportunities left uh, for him to do to do that this season, and uh, and that will be key to him uh, getting back up. Uh, onto his teammates level I think having mentioned Lando Norris there as well uh, there was a nice moment where Lando Norris found out where Alex Albon finished in the race as well Uh, he sort of found out in real time didn't he and Alex Albon is the next person we're going to talk about because from going from last to 10th in that that Williams uh, fully deserves an eight and a half out of 10 didn't it John yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, it's it owed an awful lot to the, to the strategy, I think. I mean, it was a very peculiar strategy, wasn't it? We have to say, really, that uh, they're even it looked doubtful whether he's even going to come into the pits at all. Um, started on the hard tyre and just kept running and running on it, uh, despite the two safety car periods, which would have given him a, an ideal chance to uh, to swap them for the mediums. But uh, yeah, he kept going and uh, it was just a case at the end of whether he could just cling on to that 10th position and uh, ultimately it, it worked out in Williams' favour and uh, yeah, really, really solid drive for Albon exactly what Williams needed, it got them off the mark in the in the championship left Aston Martin as the only team yet to score, so uh, yeah it, it was a day when Williams was celebrating wildly, weren't they, at the end for that one point, which is a bit of a shame because you'd like to see them actually sort of celebrating better achievements and than merely scraping a point, but uh, really good for Albon for his confidence and uh, I, was, I was glad to see him so uh, so happy about it afterwards and, and that's a good point as well, isn't it, Finn? But the fact that Albon's come back into Formula One with essentially a point to prove, and it looks like he's uh, he's very well done that so far. He looks comfortably ahead of Nicholas Satifi in the same machinery. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when he was signed, Jos Capito kind of spoke about he wanted someone in that could be a kind of long-term leader for the team rather than taking someone on loan from Mercedes, such as Nick DeVry, who was linked at the time. And I think Albon's really already kind of fallen into that role, to be honest. He's, um, yeah, very much been the the team leader in the in the first few races. And I mean, I think it, it, it's, it's kind of an odd one with that strategy. I mean, the, the Sky Sports commentators were saying towards the end that maybe they were just going to keep Albon out to like make a statement that Williams had decent pace. I mean, I don't think anyone actually expected him to pit and still come out inside the top 10. Um, I must have not been looking at the timings because I was pretty sure he wasn't going to come out in P10. Um, so I was pretty confused when he did, to be honest. But yeah, it's uh, it's a great result for him. And it is um, it is nice just to see him back on the grid again. He's definitely... It was rough at Red Bull. Um, but as Pierre Gasly showed, that's a very difficult environment to be in, especially alongside Max Verstappen. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that if you struggle there, you're going to struggle elsewhere. Um, and yeah, he's showing that for sure. Absolutely. But one one person who will be feeling very much aggrieved at the weekend, uh, Fernando Alonso, uh, ended up getting a six in your ratings, John. Um, he, he could have been on pole, but he ended up last on the road. It was it, That must have been such a frustrating weekend for him. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the 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 crash that ruined Science's qualifying obviously ruined Alonso's race weekend as well, didn't it? Um, I, th- I think pole position was probably looking a little bit too ambitious, but I think it's certainly been on the front two rows, uh, very very possibly indeed. And then, unfortunately, the strategy didn't go too well for Alpine yesterday, did it? Um, you know, he he was another one to start on the uh, on the hard tyres, and uh, once he went onto the mediums, he just couldn't make them work at all, could he? And ended up having to make another pit stopper after that and as you said at the beginning he uh, he ended up last on the road but um i mean the good thing from alpine's perspective is that they are 
you know, they are very competitive. The uh, Alonso was saying afterwards that he thought they were quicker than Mercedes all weekend. So, uh, so that really bodes well for the future. And uh, yeah, I think we can expect some more fireworks from Fernando uh, in the coming races. And isn't it good to see Finn that, you know, he's still not afraid to take a gamble, but ultimately he still has it as well. He's he's not lost any of his speed, has he? Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, we saw it last year and yeah, I was really gutted in qualifying when he crashed out. I mean, it was just the, the thought of him being, I think he probably would have been, uh, I'd guess, second to Leclerc. I think he, looking at his time, he, he would have had a bit of a gap to, to the Red Bulls. Um and just a thought of, you know, with his stats, him on the front row, um, alongside Leclerc Verstappen. I mean, that's just such an exciting prospect. Uh, and yeah, it's disappointing. But I think in a way, this weekend was better for, you know, if you discount the results, it was better for him than it was for Ocon. Because, I mean, Alonso really was getting everything out of that car from the start of the weekend, right up there with with the Ferraris and the Red Bulls, whereas Ocon was very much still in the midfield. Um uh, and, you know, to the start of the season, Ocon's kind of been looking closer to Fernando, maybe even a bit quicker. So I think in terms of confidence, that would have done done Alonso a lot of good for sure. And John, just on, on the rating of six out of 10, do you reckon, you know, the, the sort of gap to being higher up was was more like more to do with the team rather than his own driving himself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, we, what we've got to do is remember that we're, 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 we're judging them purely on the, the race performance rather than bringing qualifying into it, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, he did suffer as a result of the strategy, really. Um, you know, again, there would have been much more scope to uh, to give a higher mark if if he'd started at the front and they probably would have gone for a different strategy then, wouldn't they, if he'd, if he'd uh, started on, on the front row, for example. They would have matched the strategy of the cars around them and then it would have been a lot easier, really, to judge uh, Fernando's performance on the day, I think. Yeah, John, uh, just before you go as well, we have time for sort of one quick honourable and one dishonourable mention, I suppose. One honourable mention being Valtteri Bottas, seven and a half out of ten for him. Did he go a bit under the radar? Yeah, I think he did, actually. I, th- I think Bottas has made a really good start to the season, actually, for Alfa Romeo. And, and it's something I've said before, and I think m- maybe one or two people were a, la- a little bit sort of mm, not sure about that. But I think the Alfa Romeo has got really good race pace. It's just a shame they can't put a complete weekend together and, and get themselves higher up the grid. But, but Bottas in the race was strong, worked his way up from, I think it was 12th to 8th. In the race, uh, he had a, a duel with Lance Stroll, uh, where, whereby they were they were sort of pushing past each other at, at various points. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, good points for, for Bottas. Um, and uh, the dishonourable mentioned that I'll, well, dishonourable is a bit harsh, but... Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I fear for Sebastian Vettel, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, well, we're going to be touching on Aston a little bit later on with Oliver, but it, yeah, it, it really wasn't the comeback he wanted, was it? No, not at all. I mean, it, it was a weekend that had, well... A bit of all manner of bad news, I'm afraid, for Seb. Uh, you know, he sort of he, he thrilled us with his scooter ride, didn't he, on on Friday after his car broke down. But there was a crash on Saturday morning. He was fined for speeding in the pit lane in qualifying. And then uh, he had an off even before he crashed out of the race. So, I mean, I, I know he's ring rusty. Um, he's, he's, he's had COVID, so he's missed the first two races. So he's, he's you know, he's behind the eight ball in terms of mileage. But, you know, that Aston Martin just, just looks a really poor car and you know Seb's the sort of guy who you know he's got an awful lot going on in his his life I think sort of outside of Formula One and it does sort of make you wonder just how long he's going to want to persevere in a car that just isn't delivering the results he'd want. 
Yeah, absolutely. But that's one that we'll we'll talk about a little bit more with Oliver. But John, thank you so much for, uh, for taking us through your racing from the weekend. Yeah, thanks, guys. And as mentioned, Finn, we will be bringing Oliver Harden in now for uh, for your conclusions. So let's let's start first of all with Ferrari. You said that in your piece that Ferrari do need to be taken seriously now. So with those with those three races and two wins under their belts, so what what's what's your sort of thinking behind that? Yeah, well, um, I think there's been a temptation at the beginning of this season to judge, you know, the results of Max Verstappen relative to Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in particular, because, you know, obviously they had, they had the amazing um, Titanic battle last season. And I think it also comes from a position of not quite trusting Ferrari. You know, they've flattered to, flattered to deceive on so many occasions in the past. They've let a lot of people down, they've let a lot of drivers down. But now they're really starting to deliver. Um, and yeah, Leclerc already has built a massive um, advantage in the in the World Championship. Yeah, absolutely. And Finn, where, where do you stand on Ferrari as well? You've you've mentioned already about their uh, their sort of battling in in the title thing. And uh, do you reckon the uh, the sort of scars of 2017-18 will show themselves again, or you know, uh, do you reckon they are much better prepared as Mattia Bonotto said a few weeks ago? Uh, I'm not sure. I think logically, there's I, I I've not seen anything to suggest they they're gonna make any mistakes, any sloppy areas like they did uh in 17 and 18 i mean you know last year they operated really well as a team um but it's just that kind of you know when you live through that 2017 and 2018 season as well as you know 2010 um you can't help but wonder if that is going to happen again i mean they just you know mercedes got and red bull they've both proven that they can be pretty you know pretty bulletproof in terms of when they're in title fights in terms of mistakes they make um We've never, we haven't seen that from Ferrari since, since the days of Schumacher, really. Um, and yeah, you can't help but wonder if something's going to come unstuck again. Um, I mean, there's been no reason to think that from the first three races, but uh, yeah, you can't help but worry it might happen at some point. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and let's uh, let's let's discuss Red Bull as well. Over um, John Drago on Planet F1 comment section saying, uh, "Conclusion: It was a good strategy to go all in for Red Bull in in 2021. As you see with other teams, there was no guarantee that you'd nail the new regulations. So, do you reckon that you know that that's a, a valid opinion? Thinking that you know Red Bull were right to do what they did and keep developing the car, even though it's kind of put them on the back foot for now." Well, quite possibly, yeah. It does seem at the beginning of the season with AlphaTauri and Red Bull suffering reliability problems that maybe they have. Um underestimated the challenge of of taking on the Honda Honda Power Unit, maybe slightly. Um and it does seem, especially from this weekend, that the Red Bull does seem to have quite a smaller sweet spot than the than the Ferrari. The Ferrari is almost like a, a car for all seasons. Um Verstappen obviously had a had a lot of um incidents, a few lock ups, uh, especially in qualifying at turn thirteen and that was where he really struggled to get on top all weekend. I think Perez um ran wide there at some point as well. Um, so, so yeah, they really are on the back foot, and especially now with the perk built in such a such an advantage, it's, they they have a lot of work to do. Yeah, exactly. And Finn, with the um, building on that point, even though they won the drivers' championship last year and they've got championship winning experience, you know, there's uh, there's still you know worrying signs for them. But Christian Horner did say that you'd much rather make an unreliable car reliable than a slower car fast. So do you reckon once once they kind of tweak that, they'll be back in the mix again? Yeah, I think so. I think there are still a lot of positives to take from the first few rounds for them. Um, I mean, it's ultimately, they do have a faster car than Mercedes. Um, it's just reliability, which, yeah, should be something that they can fix fairly quickly. Um, and, I mean, even I think, you know, the first two races, they weren't for our Ferrari either in terms of outright pace, you know, Verstappen 
I mean, he'd have two P2s if it wasn't for uh, reliability. So I think in terms of pace, there's not a massive issue. And they've also got two drivers now that are getting the most out of the car, which is a really big plus in their book as well, because they haven't had that since Daniel Ricciardo. And they didn't really have that last year. Obviously, Checo had some great races, but you know, more often yeah. than not, he was still quite a bit behind Max in a I was going to say, so. were, were they more, you know, more about recovery drives in 2021 more than anything else? Yeah, I mean, I remember doing driver ratings and often he'd get pretty good ratings, but that was just because he started so far back, you know. Um, his first three races this year, he's been right up there with Verstappen. I mean, obviously got pole in the second race um, and was, yeah, completely even with him quicker in the third sector, I think, throughout in uh, in Australia. So, yeah, they've got positives in terms of the pace of their car, the pace of their drivers. Um, it just is that reliability now. Yeah, and now speaking of two teammates that seem to be very evenly matched, Oliver, you've, uh, you've spoken about Lewis Hamilton in your uh, in your piece as well, saying you know that radio message saying that he's been put into a difficult situation regarding the safety car and engine overheating is kind of a first sign of frustration for him. Like, do you, like what's uh, what's he thinking behind that one? Well, yeah, potentially it is. I think we're we're kind of looking for any uh, little signs of tension between Russell and Hamilton uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, but I think it was, you know, they obviously said that it was the you know, the message was related to the engine temperatures and need to cool the car. Um, it didn't sound like that, to be quite honest. It was almost really. as if, <laughs> yeah, it was almost as if you know you put me in this situation. Can you please get me out of it? Um, well, I mean, is that he kind of had some hard luck behind the safety car, though, no? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, Russell would only have been ahead because of the safety car, of course. Yes, but um, Hamilton, I think you know it just show how much his world has changed in twenty twenty two. Because I think if this if Mercedes had built such a bad car in previous years, there'd have been such a massive emphasis on maximising every point point scoring opportunity available to Hamilton. And now that Bottas, I mean, if Bottas was in that race and in that second Mercedes on or in Russell's Mercedes at the weekend, I think there might have been more of a, a more debate about moving him aside to ensure Hamilton got the podium. But I think it does show. Um, that you know Hamilton may not have it all, have it all his own way uh, this season, and I think it's very interesting. One of the most interesting things I heard over the winter was you know if if Mercedes knew what was going to happen uh, to Hamilton at the end of 2021, I think they announced Russell coming in around Zandvoort in September. If they knew what, what was going to happen, that um, Hamilton would would be dethroned and in such circumstances in Abu Dhabi, would they still have um, decided to drop Bottas in favour of Russell? Uh, it's a very interesting question worth thinking uh, worth thinking about. Yeah, what's what's your thought on that, Finn? Do you reckon you know? I I, I don't know. I, I, it makes you wonder about Russell because you know he's so he's been so hyped up as that kind of you know three year loan at Williams. Do you reckon this maybe would have happened anyway? Um, I think it would have. I think it would have been a harder decision to make. Um, you know, the, if they. If Hamilton hadn't had that record-breaking championship, then it maybe would have added a bit more of a desire to ensure they got it this year. And I think in terms of Hamilton's title chances alone, if you're not considering the constructors, Bottas is a better teammate. Um, but I, I think given the car they've got, it was ultimately a good move getting Russell in because they need, you know, without the pace, they need two quick drivers that are getting the most out of it every weekend. And um yeah, Russell's doing that so far. You know, he's doing what they need him to do. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure Bottas would have would have had that speed. I think he'd probably more likely than not often be caught up with the drivers behind. You know, the sort of McLarens, Alpines. Um, so I think ultimately it was a good call for them to get Russell in because without a quick car, they need quick drivers even more. I'd say. 
Yeah, and just rounding off the Mercedes point, Oliver, Joe on Planet of One reckons that the Hamilton point is maybe slightly making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, they they were the highest scoring constructor at the weekend as well. So, I mean, despite their problems, it's still a good sign for them that they're able to, to get what they can out of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in, in the context of the car that they have, it's been a, a very good start to the season for them. Uh, let's move on to Aston Martin. John's already touched on Sebastian Vettel's problems and you've already mentioned them in your in your conclusions as well. He uh, he was back after two races on the sidelines and he, he just looked, you know, kind of almost a shadow of himself. I mean, Mike Crack, the uh, the team principal, was like, keen to say that he feels it's more a car problem if a driver of that caliber, you know, struggled to drive it that much. It just, uh, you know, it just really wasn't his week, was it? No, and you know, after the the start of the season, Aston Martin made the, the stage was almost set for him to you know come in and kind of save save their season. But I think he he only did just add to their problems. People talk about him being a four time world champion, but it's it's been a long time now since he's driven like that. Um, I think it was a mistake back in you know two years ago for Aston to sign him. I think the signs were there that his decline was quite terminal, and there's been nothing nothing since. I know he had two podiums or. You know, he finished on the road with two podiums last season and was like disqualified. I don't think we've seen anything for a long time now that he has any, has the the gravitas to turn things around there. And it's quite worrying actually thinking more about his situation. One thing that we know about the 2022 cars is that they're very lazy and very um, slow in the slowest speed corners, which is which you know it's almost as if the sport is like turning against that and, and putting likes from a car in a way. Yeah, well, he's yeah, he's been so like his driving style is so based around you know, at least it seems Finn about you know being able to to make the most of a nimble car and being uh, being able to make the most out of these sort of medium speed corners. Do you reckon that's kind of you know? Do you reckon Oliver's right there? Yeah, I think from the, from as soon as he joined Aston Martin, that was a concern. You know, they had obviously focused their development, based their development on copying a Mercedes, effectively, which is in terms of driving style, sort of the opposite of what Vettel likes. Um, and I think that has taken some adaptation. And I mean, this year, if you've not got a good car, you need two top drivers to make up for that. And I just don't think they've got that. I think they've got one driver who's there because his dad owns the team uh, and one driver who's there because of Allegedly. his reputation. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. And one driver who's there because of his reputation. Um, I love Seb. He's one of my favorites. But yeah, I don't think that lineup is what Aston Martin need at this time, to be honest. And I think, um, you know, I've always wanted a season where we've got no back markers. And if you told me at the start of this year that three races in, Hassan Williams and Alfa Romeo would be in the points, I'd be like, oh, great, we're finally getting it. But nope, you've got a team with one of the biggest budgets, one of the, you know, one, some of the most resources of anyone on the grid. Just, yeah, absolute disaster. Yeah, being selfish for a moment, I did put in my preseason predictions that uh, every team would get at least 20 points this year. I mean, that might be a little bit far-fetched, Oliver, but um, Sebastian Vettel did say that he's only interested in having sort of cars that are capable of racing for victories. You know, if things don't improve from his side, do you reckon this could end up, end up being his last season? Yeah, I, I do. And I'm, I'm not totally convinced at this stage that he'll actually finish the season. I can see patience on both sides wearing, wearing thin quite soon, actually. Um, you know, you kind of expect Lance Strong as the owner's son you know, maybe he was rushed into... I've always tried to take a, a sympathetic view of Strom because he probably was rushed into F1 a little too soon. And he's had some good results and he has improved. He's been getting um, um, advice and guidance from all the right places. Um, but, you know, you do expect him to still have these moments of brain fade and you, you shouldn't really be expecting that from Vettel at this stage. It's it's kind of a, a symbolic of where he is at his career, really. Well, let's hope it turns around for him. But Oliver, thank you so much for sharing your conclusions with us. Thank you. 
Now, Finn, let's uh, let's finish off on a on a lighter note with your Formula One first. So this is what we've been doing with all of our guests so far, just basically talking through your first uh, first kind of memories in Formula One. So what like what was it that sort of put you on the Formula One straight away? What was your what was your first memory of it? Uh, my first memory was this will make me seem incredibly young to most people, I'm sure, was probably uh 2006 chinese grand prix i remember i remember that year um schumacher's last win was that schumacher's final win that was it i remember um my dad had always been into f1 and i was slowly getting into it and at that point i was i was eight um and i remember yeah i don't know why i was at my dad's for the weekend and just watching it um and at that point alonso was leading the championship but it was within it was within a wins uh range for schumacher um and yeah i remember it was kind of changing conditions uh wet going on to dry and yeah alonso had got gotten pole i think uh and was leading until it got drier and schumacher caught him passed him and won um and i think that put him into the championship lead so everybody was very excited about him getting another one in his final season uh which ultimately didn't happen obviously but um yeah i think that's my first one that kind of schumacher mania in china when he'd taken that championship lead and yeah obviously turned out to be his his final win so it's a good good first race to remember i suppose yeah good starting point so was he the sort of first driver you supported then within all that too um actually the first driver i supported i'd kind of got into yeah f1 at the end of 2006 and then from 2007 onwards is when i was properly watching um and the first driver i really supported up until he retired was actually Mark Webber. Um, yeah. I don't know why exactly. I just really liked him always. Um, I remember his first win in 2009, that team radio, that yeah. kind of Nürburgring. joy at Nürburgring. Um, and then 2010 was, that was the first season I got fully, you know, obsessed with kind of staying up to watch every session, practice, whatever. Um, and I'm still very bitter towards Helmut Marko Red Bull for not <laughs> giving him the team lead when he was about, 20 points ahead of Vettel with six races to go. Um, I mean, obviously it worked out okay for Red Bull, but... Not that it's playing on your mind or anything, no. No, no, of course not, of course not. Yeah, I'd say... Uh, yeah, that, that, he was definitely my first in... Um, Kamiya Kobayashi as well, I loved. Um, I, I loved his driving style. He was kind of the... You know, we had him before Max Verstappen, that kind of crazy driver going for these insane moves. Um, so yeah, those two were the first that I properly supported, I think. Yeah, and um, now let's uh, let's finish off by talking about the sort of first race you've attended. I understand that you're hoping to go somewhere a little bit different this year. Am I right? Yeah, I am. So somehow I've never, even though I've worked in Formula One, been a Formula One fan since I was uh, eight, I've never been to a race just because generally when Silverstone's happening, I'm it's during summer and I'm with my Dutch family, um, so I'm never in England for it. Uh, but yeah, this year I'm hoping to get my first one. If all goes to plan, you know, if there's not another COVID twenty or something, um, we'll be <laughs> yeah, we'll touch wood on that one. Let's hope not. Yeah, yeah, hopefully Suzuka. not. But yeah, I'm hoping it'll be Suzuki. Yeah, I'm actually going to be uh, moving to Japan and kind of in the start of the summer. Suzuki's in October, um, and. Yeah, that's always been kind of top of my list of races I'd want to go to. Um, you know, the crowd always looks great there. Obviously, it's a circuit that all the drivers absolutely love. Um, and yeah, I, if, if I could pick a first race to go to, I think it would probably be that. Yeah, hopefully it'll be our man on the ground there as well. That'd be exciting. I mean, that, that must be yeah. such a, a good experience to look forward to. 
Yeah, 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 definitely is. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm uh, hoping Yuki Tsunoda's kind of found his form by then to get a bit of a uh, bit of an atmosphere going because you know I remember when Kamui Kobayashi got his podium there in yeah. 2012, I think it was, um, and that was just awesome. So yeah, I mean it's going to be a great crowd regardless. But um, if they've got a Japanese driver doing well, then even better. That's it, and you, and you still write for us on Planet F1 as well. So like, be sure to to look out for your work, I guess. So you uh, you enjoying still writing for us, even though you sort of left us full time? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's fun. I'm enjoying freelancing as well. Yeah, actually, it's uh, a lot of freedom, and yeah, I'm currently well. I've got an article that I'm about to start writing on the disaster that is Aston Martin. <laughs> which would be well, fun. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye out for that one at least. But uh, thank you very much for coming back on to Talking Point. I hope it, was, uh, hope it wasn't too painful for you. <laughs> no, 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 it was good fun. Glad to be back. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, thank you, Finn. And thank you to you for, for watching or listening to us as well. Be sure to head to planetf1.com and we will have you covered all the way between Australia and Imola. And be sure to follow us on social media as well. We're at planet underscore F1 on Twitter. Just search for Planet F1 on Facebook and we are at planetf1.com on Instagram too. Uh, so thank you very, very much for joining us for this episode. Be sure to, to get in touch with us as well. You can comment on any of our stories and uh, we will look forward to bringing you another episode, hopefully before the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix at Imola. So we will... Uh, We'll look forward to speaking to you then. Thank you very much for joining us. Sports Social Podcast Network.